Noche Galactica, episode 18, Unplugged. In this episode, we talk to Poeta Maisol about religion and culture. Hey, Poeta Maisol, how you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm so happy to be here on Noche Galactica. And I've um, been really excited following the podcast since the beginning. Yeah, we're trying to create a movement, you know, find your energy is the flow. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure and honor to have you here. Um, so, yeah, it's great. Um, we're going to dive in. And if you can tell us a little bit about your, your history, uh, your upbringing, um, and then, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, having listened to a lot of other poetas here on the podcast, um, just, again, really feeling honored to be part of this movement and the guests who have been on the show. Um, my story is a little different. I, in the sense that I don't know if I have an origin. Um, I was born in New York City and I uh, grew up in a lot of places by the time I was seven years old. Um, spent time in New York City, also moved to Colorado, lived there for a little bit, then moved to LA and then moved to DC all by the time I was five. Uh, just to go back a little bit. Yeah, bring us back. Bring <laughs> yeah, us back. I'm going to bring you guys real back. So my parents were married in 1978 in South Korea. My dad is born in Oakland, uh, born and raised in Oakland. And I guess you could say was a typical California surfer boy. Uh, was always drawn to surfing in the ocean. And my mother grew up in the countryside of North Korea, which is now North Korea, but at the time was all just part of Korea. Um, they met, they had an arranged marriage, and they were part of a similar religious movement where they met. And they, my dad went to Korea to meet my mother, and they actually got married in South Korea in 1978, which I recently learned. I thought it was later, but I didn't know that they got married um, in the 70s. Uh, their marriage in the U.S. didn't happen until about five years later, but they were, uh, that's where their journey started. And um, yeah, I'm a biracial child that grew up in many different spaces. And I think part of my journey has been navigating the identity piece, you know, in the 80s into the 90s um, as, a, as a young child. Um, but yeah, just to go back or fast forward. So my parents moved to, my mom came to New York City in 1982 and I was born shortly thereafter and um, spent most of my early years on uh, moving around. And by the time I was eight, moved to the Bay Area. And which is kind of where a lot of my story just feels like it's it's rooted because it was like find the first place where we stopped moving and it was to be with my dad's family. Dope, that's dope, the Bay Area. Uh, just a little bit about being biracial. Yeah. Which thing is one of the biggest or a couple of struggles that you feel like, ah, that is a, that's a pain point of being a biracial uh, human, yeah. Yeah, I always, uh, well, just as a really clear thing, I never felt I fit the box because when we were, when I was a kid, on all the school tests, on the testing, there was never an other or a mixed race option. So I really didn't know which one to pick. You know, am I, eight, am I part Asian? My mother's Korean. My dad's Caucasian. I uh, didn't know which one to pick. So that was like a very clear marker that I didn't have 
a place in a way in the society in the way they saw race at that time. I think my biggest struggle growing up biracial was um, was a sense of a, a lack of identity and feeling that I understood two cultures but never was like really a part of it. And I think when I was in Korea, I always felt like my mother's family, you know, I like to sunbathe, I like to like watch MTV, dance to Madonna, and they just kind of looked at me like, wow, where, where is this child coming from? And even when I was with, I mean, they loved me and I always felt that, but with my dad's side of the family, also felt very loved and welcomed, but just having different experiences growing up with like taking my shoes off in the house and eating with chopsticks and having a fish smell in my house that I think for sometimes my dad's relatives, I felt like it was weird or different and they didn't see, they didn't understand the background of the culture. Um, I had a lot of friends who were also biracial, part of the religious community that I grew up in. So I didn't feel totally isolated because I had those shared friendships and we kind of understood each other. But when I was in my world, like in the world, when I was playing on soccer game in soccer teams or in school, um, I was made fun of a lot. And I remember being on a soccer team and just people like the girls coming up to me. It was like the first time I was on a sports, uh, organized sports. I came to the we moved to San Leandro, so when we moved to the Bay, we moved to San Leandro. And I just remember being on a team, and I think I just looked, like, uncomfortable. So I think, like, people picked up on that. And I, we were eight years old, so it was a young team of girls. And I just remember being approached, and they asked me the school I went to. And it was a silly name at the time. It was called the Sunshine School. Okay. Oh, right. <laughs> In Hayward. Um, Shout out. Shout out. Sunshine School. And I was so embarrassed. And um, it was just, it it, it just came up in kind of really subtle ways. Like I wasn't proud to be biracial. It was like I I had a story behind it. And I never, um, I could tell that people were curious. And I kind of misinterpreted that curiosity with other, like I felt like being looked at differently and, and weird. Okay, okay. Thank yeah. you for sharing. Now, if you can, if you can dive in into your middle school, high school experience as a biracial um, student, and then just kind of tapping into this spiritual religion aspect of it, like sounds yeah. like you have a lot there. It would be great if you can unpack that with us. Here. Sure. I'm 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 really down to go into this. So, I grew up in. Many people may not know what this is called. This movement. Um, it was called the Unification Church. It was founded, I don't really know exactly what year it was founded, but it was actually started in South Korea. The founder was Korean, and he brought the religion and faith to the United States, actually in Oakland. So it's some interesting roots there. That's where they kind of first landed, and um, it became really big, and it's considered a cult now because it's a new religion and I don't it's it's now splintered off into many groups the founder passed on um, he died and so it's not organized centrally um, but it also got a lot of a lot of attention in the 70s and 80s because people's kids were joining this movement my dad included 
and parents were freaking out. Like it was like, oh my God, your son got got sucked into a cult. We need to save him, get him out of there. They're gonna mess him up. And actually, there was these things called deprogrammers where people, parents would hire almost like not a, I don't know if it's a spy, but they'd hire people to kidnap their kids out of these communes and these religions. So it was actually pretty controversial. And the Unification Church, the more derogatory name, which is more of like just what they used to call it was the Moonies. And so because the reverend, his last name was Moon. And so we were part of this thing called the Moonies. And I was born into it, okay. you know. And so, you know, I don't know all the history that my parents went through. And that's my mom also grew up in the church in Korea. So she's kind of was like raised in it too. And so my parents met and like starting, you know, like in this movement. And I guess to make it really simplify it, yep. they really were thinking they were changing the world. They thought that the heavenly kingdom, which is like heaven on earth, would come in seven years or 14 years. And this is in the 70s. And they were just all in. Like all their time, all their resources was about recruitment, spreading the message, spreading the movement evangelizing, getting new people to join. And they really believe that their leader, Reverend Moon, was the person that was like spearheading this. And it became huge. He was the one. He, he was, was the one who started the movement. He was the Messiah. Okay. He, he, he was had the power. He was the, he was, had a lot of power. Um, he, I think he started off rather humble. Mm. Well, I know he did. He started off in a shack in South Korea, made out of cardboard, but, um, once the followers in the U.S. started to come, and, you know, it's crazy. He doesn't even speak English. Oh, wow. He has a translator, and he is getting people to follow this movement and join. Um, then a big part of it was, and again, I don't know all the details, but I believe that a lot of the followers gave all of their resources. Like, this is all the money I got in my bank account. We're going to all make a communal pool of money. Wow. So, um, which later became a lot of corruption because the money went to him and his family and it wasn't quite spread across, you know, all the parties, but yeah, so that's the religion that I grew up in was very much, we were the second generation of this movement. We were called that. We were called second generation. Um, as I was telling you earlier, BC was another term, blessed children. We had this we were raised with this belief that we were spiritually um, rebirthing a new lineage and like starting a new, <laughs> a new, more than a movement, really like a new race or religion or, or lineage. Yeah, yeah. That's the best way I can explain it. Wow. That's deep. That's yeah. deep. Um, at what age or what point in your life did you kind of start figuring out like, oh, this, this maybe is not for me. This is for me. Yeah. Continue here. Well, so uh, just to share about like my time in high school, I was with it in high school, meaning I was in that community. I mean, my parents, you know, I was under their home. Um, there were things that were ritualistic about it and, and weird, but I like we'd wake up and do these um, ceremonies on Sunday mornings, like starting the week off. It was like a, we called it a pledge service, but it was just a way to have mind over body and just be self-disciplined but um so there were some of those little rituals but other than that I felt like I lived a fairly normal life except that 
we were really told that we had to stay together and like we had to live and eventually marry within this bubble of community of other kids within that group within that group yeah and so in high school it was an interesting experience of me just being you know I went to high school here in Oakland shout out to Bishop Rodown High School and you know my dad went there so that's why we went there Um, it was a really expensive high school my parents couldn't afford it but my grandparents paid for us which is why we were able my brother my older my second brother and I were able to go there and um, it was an awkward time because I think more in my mind I was not like I didn't know I, I felt like I had grown up in a bubble and it was really isolated and I went to a small elementary school aka sunshine school and so and middle school so just going to this big space um I was awkward um I I had a few friends but I also didn't know in myself how to be confident in who I was and um kind of just stayed on like I stayed quiet and it was more of a I didn't, I didn't make myself that known. And I think um, I also, a big part of our religion was to marry within this. And so I went, that was just my life. That was, your, that, was that the journey that we're getting to. And, and this is what I want to talk about in terms of um, a lot of themes have come up in my life. I think a big theme of mine is liberation. Mm-hmm. And... Liberation, because that's been my journey of freeing myself from a, a, a mindset and just a life that was before. Um, just so much is expected of me and just like this is your path kind of experience that I had as in my in my um, into my 20s, actually. Um, yeah, I got I got matched, which is like the term where you, you have a arrangement with somebody. I really liked this person. We liked each other and it was like a first love. And um, and we and we stayed with it um, through our 20s. But what I didn't know was that there was a huge part of me that was just seeking and trying to understand what all of this was in my life and what was happening to me. And um, I became like in my 20s, I would say like 27, like late 20s, I just started having this feeling like, hey, you know, we're not really that religious, my partner and I at the time. We weren't really... um, you know, we didn't really identify with 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 the religion per se anymore, but we were still in the community, and that was what the weird thing about it. Um, you still kind of you still belong to these beliefs and mindsets without having to go to like a temple or a church. Um, we did go to like certain events as a community from time to time, and sometimes they were in, like across the country. But I just started to feel, I mean, I learned so much in college and I learned so much in my early 20s, but um, I think the shift really happened later in my 20s. And I had a breaking point actually when I turned 30. And it was this thing of like my mind, the the story that was, um, the story that I told myself that my life had meant just shattered. It was done. It it literally shattered. And I was actually in a monastery. I went to a 10-day meditation retreat 
in Nepal. And it was like on the it was like I'm just doing this. I'm going with my two girlfriends. Like we were really close in that journey too of self-discovery and doing it at the same time. They both had grown up in the movement. And I went to Nepal. I remember having a dream. And the dream was so impactful. And it was, it almost felt like a mirror and just everything shattered. And it was something about, if I look back on it, I feel that it was kind of a breaking down of a lot of my beliefs and my the mindsets that I had. And they just weren't vibing with me anymore. And I think I was trying to break, like just trying to be myself, but something about them were still had a hold on me. So you kind of pull that from the matrix in a sense like you just pulled yes. the heart net from the back of your head and you were just like this this is this is this is, this is me I'm Neo now yeah that that movie I saw a lot of parallels in my life when I saw it and I and I say this because um, I don't think my story is that special and the fact I mean maybe it's not not everyone grows up in a cult and that's mm-hmm. different but I think when I as I've reflected I I think that a lot of us are in our own matrix, right? Like I was in a matrix of this religion, the Unification Church, and everything was, I was programmed to say like, this is what you're gonna do, this is what you're gonna, how you're gonna dress. I mean, it wasn't too to that specific, but like I couldn't, it was looked down upon if I wore provocative clothes or things like that. I mean, it was a lot of um, expectations that we just kind of all went with the flow um, as, as, as the kids growing up in it. But I was thinking about it and realizing that um, the matrix sometimes can just be, you know, your own community or your own neighborhood or even your own culture. And sometimes the expectations that 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 culture or that environment puts on you that you can really internalize by and say, hey, this is my parameters. Like, this is my box and this is where... This is where I can be, where I can navigate, but outside of that is not okay. And it's almost like we put our own, I think for me, I put my own box on it because no one actually really told me I couldn't go outside of it. I, I, I kind of created a safety, a comfort zone and a safety net because well, I was taught that the world was dangerous and evil and, and out to hurt me in a way. So there was some, I feel like, some negative fear-based um, messaging that I got a lot of. But when I when I turned 30 and that shift happened and I, I kind of felt like, yeah, I pulled the plug and I was like breathing for the first time. I was breathing on my own and I think because I was so far from everyone I mean like Nepal I thought about it, it was like as far as I could get from that time I was living in New York and I yeah I um, it was such a profound experience because I just felt like I finally didn't feel the pressure of my parents or my community or even at that time, my own marriage. And it was like this realization that I finally just had a chance to be me. And, and I, nobody knew my story in Nepal. And I just could be Kibos. I didn't have to have, you know. Front. You didn't have to front and be like no. this person. 
it was so liberating and I think that experience like I I actually have a picture of it uh, behind that one <laughs> and I, I have that picture as a reminder of that liberation because I love the I love the song by Soul Rebels it's a jazz band in New Orleans it's like let your mind be free and you know the mind is such a it's such a huge thing and I just it was like my awakening and um and it was hard actually coming back to life after that because I was like, what the hell? Like I was so disorientated because a lot of things, it was, I couldn't even explain it in words. Just, I questioned a lot of things because it felt like a new beginning. And so everything that was in my life before, I'm like, well, how did I get here? Did I really choose this? Did I own this? You know, and I was questioning so many of my relationships. And did you did you feel like you died in a sense, like your conscience died, and then you were reborn in a different way? A hundred percent. Yeah, and that's why I think The Matrix is such a powerful movie. I think there's a reason why people relate with it because in a way maybe it looks differently for everyone and again I was kind of trying to explain earlier that maybe not everyone grew up in a cult but a cult can be symbolic of what you believe for yourself and what you believe are the where your life can be and go and um, when I had that you know, rude awakening, I did feel reborn and almost felt like a child again mm. because I hadn't used these muscles of making decisions on my own. You know, it was like, because my life was really much kind of handed to me and I was just, I was just plugging it, plugging along. Like, this is what you're going to do next. This is where you got to go. This is what what's next expected of you. So I felt a little bit um, like Neo, I don't know if he like he like came out of that like cocoon thing, and he's like, oh my god, like you're not using your muscles, you're not using your mind, you're not using your own thinking, your own anything, and he had to strengthen that, and I think that's what um, it felt like for me. I had to just, I, I mean, that's that's how my experience was, but seeing the world in a new light, but myself, and finally just saying. I'm going to, I'm going to ask myself what I need and what I want to do. And what happened was though, it looked like, and this is a term that maybe not everyone relates with, but it vibe for me was called the dark night of the soul. Okay. And I dive in, dive in. Okay. So this dark night of the soul, I heard it. And when I, when I heard it, I saw it on Facebook or probably cause all my searches were like, how to get out of this <laughs> hole of depression or like my life is changing. I, it, there was probably some big brother watching me and guiding me to put see, on, put, on. <laughs> put me on to these readings, which ended up being really positive for me because I was like, yes, this is what I'm going through. A dark night of the soul is really a, a, a reawakening, a, kind of a rebirthing experience but I think it's more on the psychic level Mm -hmm. that you are seeing life with a new lens and even physically experiencing like a lot of turmoil and like a birthing experience like the baby coming out of that canal it's not easy it's it's dark it's 
it's like uncomfortable and then they're birthing right and so it was um really hard time for me I also had a child at that time Mm -hmm. and um she was very young and um my former partner and I decided to part ways during this time so not only was I going through my own dark night of the soul but I was also became a mother and it's a very personal time for me um which I won't go so much into that but it was um I would say the dark night of the soul was facing a lot of the things I didn't want to face in myself which was my own hurts my own emotions and my own questions, my own anger, things that I had pushed down for so long. Yeah. Powerful, powerful messaging from Poeta Maisol in the building. Uh, the next question I want to ask is, yeah. is now you are at a different level now. Mm-hmm. You have a different lens. Yeah. You, you are now from the town, aka Oakland, California. Uh, where, where do you stand with all this? What's the message that now you kind of carry within yourself? It's like, this is what I'm about. Yeah. This is, this is Poeta Mai Sol. Well, yeah, I thank you for, um, thank you for just inviting me to share my story. I know I, I was a little hesitant at first because I was just thinking, man, this is a lot to put into a short amount of time. But I did want to think about why I went through this journey and why I'm so passionate about being in education and being here in Oakland, um, moving back to the Bay. Again, I grew up here, so I, I didn't really, I left for some time, but after high school, I also went to college here and then um, did move on, live on the East Coast for a little bit and moved back recently. And now living in Oakland, um, I believe that my message is about liberation. And it's about taking your life journey. And I, I don't know, I personally have not met anyone who hasn't struggled yeah. and been through some kind of struggle. And, and, and crazy enough, like the struggles across all different races and classes and ethnicities, um, it's there. You know, sometimes universal it's universal. It's sometimes it's hidden. Sometimes we do believe that even people with privilege and more privilege than others, like, well, they are not struggling. But actually, when I've gotten to hear people's stories, there's a lot of struggle. It just looks differently. Mm-hmm. But it's always with the self. Yeah. And I think where this story really, I feel, is something I want to use to empower me as an educator, but as a mentor and as a mom now and as a friend is really challenging people to... Um, to just look at their own selves and, and and acknowledge where they've been, but also how they are, um, how they can move out of a place of, for me, it was a lot of anger and resentment and frustration with my history. And um, actually just appreciating that that really made me into who I am today and has given me incredible compassion and understanding for different kinds of like people and journeys but um kind of to own that story but also to move on when I say liberation is to like really free my mind from from just 
thinking what it, where I need to be or who or how I have to live. I don't know. I, I think I've just had a whole new take on life because of this journey for me. Because I was told that I was living some way, and then I just broke out of it and say, "Hey, I'm going to create another life for myself," which is what I've been doing, and I'm going to just be a trailblazer in my life, and I'm not gonna. I'm not going to say like because I was born into this space and this class or this religion or this this race that this is what defines me. It it is who I am and it's part of my makeup. But I also feel like this experience of um, of freedom is just really important and um, for everyone to say like, hey, how can I? Free myself, you know. I think of the Bob Marley song, like from mental slavery. Like that is something that a lot of us, maybe without realizing, we do have, we have put on ourselves, or we've really become connected to it. And so, yeah. I mean, if, if I if I were to put it, it, it again, like it, it's about liberation and it's also about forgiveness. Yeah, I think my message. I want it to be about forgiveness and compassion for yourself. Um, and really loving yourself through the really challenging times of your journey because in so many ways, I really felt I was my only ally in the journey because I had to own it and go against a lot of people. And, and, and I felt like I was hurting a lot of people by just living my truth. But in doing that, I became myself and I became my best self. And I now see that that is giving back to all those people because I'm finally just living my truth. They can see, they can see. They can see it and, and the people that are meant to really stay in your life, they will because yeah. they're part of your tribe and you might not roll with them for a little bit. I am dipping out for a couple yeah. years. That's what it felt like with some people but they know who they are and, and they've always stood by me and, and now that I'm kind of come into myself um, is just forgiving myself for just having to be okay with needing that space and going through that struggle um, however it looked and now being able to feel a lot more grounded in who I am and, and now being able to build and to support each other in a more authentic way because I finally gave myself that space I needed to just to, to evolve. To evolve, yeah. yeah. And nice. to come to this place that I am now. That's dope. That's dope. Um, just last question. Uh, where, where do you see Poeta Mai Sol uh, going in a few years? Yeah. Where, where, what's, what's your journey? Where do you see yourself? Visualizing yourself. Okay, this is great. I'm glad I'm me to do this. Uh, so just a little bit about the name Marisol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Poeta Marisol, I personally have always like really connected with like Latin culture and music, even from a young age. My mom, when I was really young, I, like seven or eight, I found out about Gypsy Kings. Mm -hmm. And I think Gypsy Kings and Mana and my mom was Korean and she thought I should be listening to classical music and wondered why I was listening and I have mariachi music yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she would laugh at me or, or actually not laugh she would question me and then just kind of roll her eyes she didn't understand it but I, I also have, I've always felt connected to um, South America mm. I actually when I think about the Americas I feel like the heart of America I something about South America I'm really drawn to and so I've 
you know, not only the language, but the culture, and then Marisol. I love the name, but when I understood the break in, breakdown of it, it's Marisol, so ocean and sun. And for me, those are places that have always, nature has been like my constant friend in the journey, a place where just by being there, I have felt like I've tapped into some really deep truths in myself and I've found a lot of courage and strength. So uh, the reason I, yeah, so that's why I chose the name Marisol. And where I see myself going, or as um, some of you may know, I'm an educator and um, I think my, by being someone who's lived this transformation of liberation and freeing my mind and of, of living my truth and bringing a lot of compassion and forgiveness to that, I, I just want to be that. And by being that, I hope to, in a way, hold space for my, um, for the youth around me to also find their path and to be feel free to just explore and find themselves in a in a way that um, may not always look like the way that their family expects them to or the, or the culture or society, but really giving young people um, and others just confidence to live their truth and to not be afraid. To not be so afraid, yeah. That is dope. Giving, giving, empowering people to find their galaxy, which is what Noche Galactica is about. Uh, you know, creating that safe, uh, safe space for people to be themselves. Yeah. Be like, this is where I'm going. That's amazing. This is the moment where we just put the plug out there. Any shout outs you want to give out to people, yourself, you know, folks out there that you want to say, hey, I made it. Come holla at Noche Galactica. Get on this podcast. Yeah, uh, well, I guess just to kind of end with the shout out and um, something about this quote I'm not going to quote it right yeah, So, yeah, but yeah. it's like a rough it's a rough um, paraphrasing but it was basically something about when you name the things that you love in life and it's like it was saying something like when you name those things are you first on the list and not in a Something about that quote, it wasn't about in a way to, to self-promote yourself, nothing like that. It was like, are you first on your list of who you love in this world and what you love in this world? Because if if I don't even love myself, what what am I even doing impacting or working with others or being in relationships with others you know my family my siblings everyone you know um friends like your whole network and I think something about that is what my plug is is is, hey like taking a moment to say like am I on that list am I number one on that list and in such a sacred way And, and in a way that is is something that I'm very aware of on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Like, how am I showing up for myself and taking care of this person who, this soul that is living in this body? So I guess just shout out to everyone to really love themselves um, in such a, in, in that's the symbiotic kind of connection that when you love yourself then you can love others and they can love you and that's really the foundation for the healing and connection that I think we all want and and being okay just to like figure your journey out and to really 
hold space for yourself um, and um, and actually just in community and that's what I love about Noche Galactica like hey it's it, we're sharing our stories but it's in community and something about that is so powerful and again I'm just really excited and super excited to be part of, of this journey with y'all thank you thank you it's a movement Noche Galactica Find your galaxy once again. I'm Poeta Galactico. Poeta Marisol in the building. And this was a great episode. Thank you again. Thank you guys.